if you don't know how to scale your affiliate site, now you do. Hi, I'm Jared Krause, host of the Buying Online Business Podcast. And in this episode, I'm speaking with Doug Cunnington, who's a good buddy of mine from Niche Site Project, and he owns and scales multiple affiliate sites. Now, Doug has been an absolute game changer in the niche site industry with his keyword golden ratio strategy, which a lot of people have adopted and a lot of people have gotten great results from, which we talk about in the podcast a little bit more. But specifically in this podcast, Doug and I talk about what most affiliate sites actually do wrong and what you should do to rectify that if you own an affiliate site or a content site in general. We also talk about EAT, which stands for Expertise, Authority, and Trust, and how to get that if you're not an expert in the niche that your actual site is in. We also talk about user design and user experience and what Doug actually does to create a better user experience to keep people on his page longer and also get more email subscribers. And then we talk about how Doug actually builds his email list and what he does with his email marketing to make more money, right? Niching it down and really cutting out the fat in his email marketing and creating a good use experience with his email marketing as well. Towards the end of the episode, Doug and I also talk about FIRE, which stands for Financial Independence Retire Early and how you can follow this movement to replace your income too, which is a huge, huge movement happening right now. So guys, this is such an incredibly valuable episode. If you own a content website or thinking about owning a content website, you're absolutely going to love it. Check it out. Today's episode is brought to us by Niche Website Builders, which is a company a few of my clients are using and have used for content creation and link building services. They do everything from start to finish, so from keyword research all the way to uploading your completed article for you. We've also had Bob members buy ready-made affiliate sites built by Niche Website Builders. So if you're looking to outrank your competitors' content and build better backlinks, Niche Website Builders and I have a special deal for you. Head to nichewebsite.builders forward slash Bob. I'll put a link in the show notes for you, but again, that's www.nichewebsite.builders forward slash Bob. Do you want to start investing in websites, but don't want to drop $20,000 or more on your first investment? Check out Odis, where you can buy premium age domains to build a website on and add Odis done for you affiliate site package to help you grow your website and get seen. Instead of buying a crummy website that's been built to sell with no authority, buy a premium domain with built-in authority, great SEO, and fresh quality content for your website. Head to odys.link forward slash Bob podcast to check out their great deals. That's odys.link forward slash B-O-B podcast. Link will be in the description too. Doug, you're back again. Thank you so much for coming on the Bob podcast and welcome. Jared, I'm pumped to be here. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and thanks for inviting me. Always fun chats. And I wanted to get you on to talk about many things, but mostly content sites. And uh, people know who you are. We, we'll talk about all the links and where people can go to see you and stuff like that. But let's just dig straight into the good stuff, hey? So, All right. I wanted to ask you, I was looking at your site and like looking at the space and well, I've been in the space for quite a while in, in, in content and you got ad revenue and you got affiliate and then you can be mixed. I want to ask you if you were to choose just one 
revenue source, either ad revenue, like have an ad revenue site only or an affiliate revenue site only, which would you choose and, and why? Why would you go down that route and stick with that? So luckily, we, we don't have to choose, but I will answer your question. You can have both, and I think it's it's a good mix. They have pros and cons. But if I did have to choose, I most likely would go with the affiliate revenue model. And of course, I've, I've spent most of my time with Amazon Affiliate, and they are not the best partners in the world in 2017 and again in 2020. They really, uh, you know, sucker punched us and they, they cut our revenue. They cut our commissions in general. And there's, there's nothing you can do. There's no real recourse with Amazon. You're working with a much bigger partner and there's, there's not much you can do as an individual affiliate, but you can promote other products. And one of the great things with just the affiliate model is you're able to negotiate potentially with you know physical product uh, companies and I've been leaning more and more towards the digital product area so that's courses and software typically there may be some other kind but those are the two main areas and the great thing with digital products is they pay so much better because the margins are higher. So as affiliates, we can earn more with commissions. And, you know, it's one of those things. I had my first success with working online and side hustling with affiliate marketing. And I just dug in and spent most of my time there. And I have friends and peers that spent most of their time on the display model. And they kept doing more and more of that. And they've gotten better and better at that. So my skill area lends itself much better to the affiliate model. But like I said, we don't have to pick. We can kind of do a little bit of both. You can have some sites where maybe you just have all informational articles. You don't worry about affiliate revenue at all. You don't target any of those keywords. And maybe you have another site that you only do, you know, software reviews for videographers or something. Yeah, cool. And I, I want to ask about, like, I agree, the the space of earning money online and the financial space, software and tools and all this sort of stuff pays better in affiliate revenue for sure. Now, do you have other sites that aren't just like you, you have multiple niche sites, right? And you're working on some and then you sell some and what's the what's the portfolio looking like now? Do you have a few other niche affiliate sites that aren't within that type of niche or industry? In the financial niche industry at all? So they, they all fit in in that general umbrella. And I've never been one to have like a big portfolio. I know some of our other mutual friends, they may have, you know, eight or ten sites and have mm-hmm. sort of a bigger team and some managers they work with. But I never wanted to have a big organization or have a lot of sites. It becomes very stressful for me. So mm-hmm. I just know it's not the right move. And I have a pretty lean uh, set of sites. And typically I've spent most of my time on just one or two while I ignore another two or three. And I am finding myself, uh, as I sold some, I, I was not necessarily bored, but I was interested in some of the opportunities that I saw, especially, you know, kind of like you, Jared, we're in a space where sometimes people will just email us and say, hey, I have a site. Do you want to buy it? I, I trust you and I can work with you. We we don't even have to use escrow. Like we can mm. just have an agreement and then have a quick 
turnaround versus working with a, a broker where maybe there's three or four people that you have to deal with mm. along the way. There's weeks of delay. There's negotiation, maybe time zone issues versus you know shooting a couple emails back and forth. So the point is I have accumulated a few more, more than I wanted, more than I thought that I would have. And I'm in a, probably another situation where I'll probably thin the herd a little bit uh, sooner than later, I would say. Cool. I didn't ask because I wanted to see how big your portfolio was. I wanted to ask because I wanted to see how you know, if those sites, other sites that you do have, are you the personal face or are you the brand of, of those businesses? Or like, do you have an about us section? And, you know, how do you build EAT with a, with a business that you're not the face of or you're not the expert in? Or is there, is there some things that you do? So I don't have my name or face on the, the sites that I am not the, the public face on. And there's there's a couple main reasons. So the biggest one is because I am a person who has a YouTube channel and a blog and I talk about the things that I'm working on. People will go in, negative people will go in and maybe they'll throw negative SEO at your site. And it's not a big deal. Most of the time, Google's pretty smart and they can see that it's negative SEO until they hit some threshold. I'm not sure what the trigger is. There's a lot of different ways to do negative SEO and most people just shrug it off. But I've had personally my own site hit with negative SEO and it was penalized and I lost over five figures and it took a, a little while to get it back mm. over the course of a month and a lot of effort and a lot of stress. So I try, even though I know there's ways that people can figure out you know, what sites I might be working on. But I try to keep things fairly private because I don't just you know talk about doing this. Like it's, I actually earn money from the site. So it's a big deal if someone does send, say, 500 plus 301 redirects from spammy domains to my site. Like it makes a difference and I don't like it very much. So I try to keep it private. And I know some, again, some of our mutual friends, they have public case studies and I honestly don't know how they are not hit with negative SEO because if you have a public face, there are just people out there that have more time uh, than sense and that they want to cause you trouble. And I'm not sure because I'm usually a fairly uh, nice person. I'm like sharing information, mm. but there are people, they're probably, you know, teenagers or something, but they know enough to cause some damage. So I keep things private. Your real question is about EAT and providing that expertise and authority and trust. And I don't necessarily go very far out of my way to, you know, represent actual expert out there. I think if you have good material in it, and I would love to hear what you're doing too, Jared, but I provide good information. There are backlinks coming from good websites. And I think that probably plays a big role in it. But from the perspective of like saying that you're, qualified or you have credentials or whatever, I don't think algorithmically Google is going in and verifying that. Or if there's a way, I think it's probably more backlinks and having good backlinks. Now, again, I don't go deep into this area studying it. So Jared, what do you, what do you do? Do you, do you do anything special? Uh, that's great. I, I, 
going to answer that question. I'm not going to dodge it because I think there's, there's like some important stuff to talk about. But I wanted to mention that you're right. Like there's people out there that are doing negative SEO, especially on people like us that are, that are public brands, public faces. And what you said about like some of our buddies and people out there, you know, showing off case studies and all that sort of stuff, like the way I think about this and see this is that they're getting great results with some of their sites, but it's like Instagram where people only put their best foot forward and only share that, that best information anyway, usually. So that's why most of the audience sees that those people are completely bulletproof. Let's be real. None of us are bulletproof. I've been hit by Google algorithm changes and and had some silly little mistakes on my sites. And I'm a human being and and our organization and and some of the team, we we make mistakes and and it happens and I can miss it and other people can miss it too. So these things happen. And uh, I believe that it's good to have some EAT and there's ways that we can do it depending on the on the niche and depending on the type of business. In the financial space, I guess it could be hard where some people may not want to share too much information about themselves. But the way I think about EAT is like a digital footprint. When we have a, a bigger digital footprint online, we build a, a bigger authority and we, we usually gain a, a bit more trust, not just from our audience, but also from the search engines. And the way I think about it, if somebody is to have an affiliate site or any sort of niche site and they're not an expert in that particular topic, I think it can be good to build a bit of a, a digital footprint, not by themselves, but by tapping into the expertise of others uh, and having them come on and, and do some collaboration where they guest post or they create some content together and then have links back to their site and Google can see that, the audience can see that, and then on the author and about us pages, you can say, hey, would you like to be somewhat of an ambassador and you get more links to your site and you get they build their digital footprint and the niche site builds their digital footprint at the same time. This is some of the stuff that I talked about with people in my mastermind that they can go away and do that when they buy a site, they're not an expert in and they don't want to be the face of that business. It's in important to them to realize how can I build some authority and trust and be and have this site be seen as quite an authority site and I I think it's getting more and more important now because trust is really really important to the audience and you know when we read something we want to make sure it's it's by a good source and also when people are buying sites or starting sites they may be good at two things in their life and they want to have five different sites. They can't become an expert at those three other things. <laughs> what do you think about yeah. that? And, and I would like you to poke holes at that too, if you, if you have any to poke at. Sure. Well, to layer on top of what you mentioned where you use the expertise of other folks, I saw, this has been a couple years now, but I saw very competitive space. E even back then, it was like the cannabis and CBD area. Mm. So very, very profitable, a lot of money, a lot of growth in that area. And it was, you know, a regular couple or a regular dude like you or I, and they didn't have any credentials in the cannabis or CBD space. They were just, they really liked it and they started a site and they interviewed experts who were PhDs and doctors and biologists and other experts. And they interviewed 
hundreds of people and they ended up coming basically out of nowhere with no credentials, no expertise. They became an expert. Their site had a ton of links and it probably got a lot of shares from you know, people socially, uh, as well as getting those backlinks from, you know, maybe an EDU site where mm. a researcher has a website and they're like, Hey, I worked on this interview with so-and-so you should go check it out. So they were able to do it. And it was through, you know, smart networking. One of my students did basically the same thing in a completely different niche where it's, you know, much easier to establish some authority, but there's no there's no credentials out there. And it really is kind of about that digital footprint, I believe. And I've read through the Google guidelines or whatever, those sort of manual review guidelines. And if you've gone through it, it's very boring. So drink a cup of coffee beforehand and make sure it's not before bed. And then you'll find that it's a manual review. So someone would have to go through and look through your site and do the research. And the fact is, they're probably not doing that unless there's some really compelling reason to look at your site. There would be no reason for them to look at your site or to manually review it. I could be mixing up a couple little points there, but the the whole gist of it is, is if someone is just looking at a site, they probably would have a hard time telling if you were faking expertise or if you were really an expert other than, like you said, the digital footprint and that's social, that's the backlinks, that's all the other things. So, I mean, I think if you're providing good information, like everything else will kind of work out most of the time. Yeah, spot on. I think if you're faking being an authority in that space and trying to – and without a – there is some aspect of fake it until you make it. Like a lot of people do this, but if you're faking it and not wanting to make it and not having that long-term approach of like, actually I do want to be an expert in this space and you're just faking it for the time being of building up a site to sell or to make money and, and fake that you're, you really know a lot about what you're talking about. People are smart when they're reading and consuming content. They can really tell the difference and the authenticity between between people and Google is getting better and better at that too. So look out for that. In, in saying that, Doug, what are some other things that affiliate site owners are not doing so well? And what are some of the things that they, they lack and they can improve on that, to make their affiliate sites better that, you know, common ones as well. So some couple easy things I would say, especially beginners will often have a lack of affiliate links. So if you're literally trying to earn money from your affiliate links, don't bury them at the bottom. You want to have one at least sort of near the top. And I encourage people to go check out some of the big affiliate sites out there to see what the best in class are doing. So Outdoor Gear Lab, The Wire Cutter, Pick your favorite affiliate site that's kind of big and you'll see they'll usually have a quick call to action. Hey, if you're looking for a wireless mouse, here's our top choice for most people. Just keep it simple. Let them get to the affiliate link faster. Many times I'll take a look at someone's site and I'll see the affiliate link is three quarters of the way down. And sure, if someone read all of that, They're probably really engaged and they want to click that link. But most 
people are not going to read the whole thing. They're just not going to. So mm-hmm. give them a chance to click the affiliate link early. One of the other areas is around link building or promotion. So I, I do think of it as link building because I kind of have roots in SEO, but it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. And maybe it's just the recency bias of my brain, but a lot of people just think, well, I, I don't want to promote my site. I think it's too risky for some link building purposes. Some other people may say, ah, I just don't want to try to approach people because I'm, I'm scared to put myself out there. And really they could frame it in kind of what we talked about before. I think it was your specific example of saying, Hey, do you want to uh, be a guest post on my site? Or maybe I'll send you just a text-based email interview, nothing complicated. I'll send you questions. You send the answers back and you're becoming uh, not only some of that expertise, right? Is rubbing off, but you're becoming a person in that niche. So you can say, Hey, do you have any other friends any other peers in this niche that maybe would want to do the same thing would love to work with them too. And it's a great way to just extend some kindness and you're making friends online and over time that'll add up and opportunities will pop up. Now it may not be right away. It may not be in even three months, but in a couple of years you may have some strong affiliate relationship with that company or brand or person or whoever it is. They may link to you, right? If if you have featured them and you're putting out good content consistently, they may just link to you or share your stuff because you've been around and you're top of mind. Mm-hmm. So if you do that a lot, if you do that consistently, it is probably going to pay off. And to your point, if you're thinking, if you're thinking, hey, I have to make a thousand bucks a month as soon as possible. You're going to make some weird decisions. You're going to make some compromises that are just not going to work out over time. Or if you do hit that and you have some sort of flash in the pan, some quick success, it's not going to be long-term most of the time. I think if you have, instead of a six-month time frame, think about like two years or even five years. If you're thinking, hey, we have a five-year time frame here and then maybe we have like a million dollar asset. Like that's a pretty decent compromise versus, hey, I need eight months and if it doesn't work, then I'm going to throw the whole thing away. It was a failure and I'm going to move on to the next thing. So uh, just a longer term time frame and just patience, you know, patience. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I think on our last uh, last podcast I did with Adam Smith from Niche Website Builders, we're talking about the same thing is people don't have enough macro vision and long-term approach and what can happen is like you said they can get to the eighth month and be like oh this wasn't worth it didn't really work and then month nine could have been the game changer right i forget there's like a a quote or a stat that most people acquire 90 percent of their wealth in like if they've got like a 10-year time span they do it in like the last year and they acquire most of the 90 percent of their wealth like in that time frame don't give up too early. I think, you know, the trying to, but that's a, that's a toxic thing that our space has. People are wanting to achieve financial independence at the drop of a hat so they can exit the rat race super quick and have this, they see people that have these results of like, I bought an online business and I made X amount in this period of time. And they go, Oh, okay. 
I can do this in this short period, six months, I can do this. But they forget that that person that's done that has like six, seven plus years experience prior to that, or they don't, they don't really factor that into their time frame, And that's toxic. I want to talk about another toxic thing that you mentioned. If people aren't asking for affiliate links or want not wanting to collaborate, then yeah, they can, they can get left behind. And if you don't ask, the answer is always no. And over time, there's only only by doing that and you're going to get rejected in life sooner or later if you haven't already. And getting okay with being rejected, I think, especially in business, is important. Not that you want to just go on this mad spree of like, I want to get rejected a hundred times just to overcome my fear. That can be detrimental in itself in a different way. But if you don't ask for links or you don't try to collaborate and build your business, then you won't have that digital footprint or that authority in, in many years' time. And that, that could be the one thing that's holding you back from going from 1000 a month to 2000 or 3000 a month, right? Yeah, definitely. And there's, you know, there's so many quotes on it, but it's usually some sort of a sin of inaction or you know, not taking action, not asking for the thing that you need is probably a bigger mistake than, you know, getting rejected. I mean, and the fact is, I mean, you only need a couple things to work out, right? Mm -hmm. You only need like a website to grow and and do well. You you don't need all of them to do awesome. You just need, you know, 25% of them, 10%. I mean, depending on what kind, how many at-bats you're getting. But the, the fact is you just need a couple things to work out pretty well. And it can start with like small successes. I'm sure it's very unusual unusual for someone to have, you know, their first acquisition. They do a handful of things and try to flip the site. It's not going to be their biggest one most of the time. You gain skills over time and you're able to take maybe smarter risks. Maybe they're not even that risky, but you're able to make smarter decisions because you put in the reps earlier. Mm. So I'm not sure what the question was, but I I go off on tangents often, you know. Uh, There was no question at all, but I agree with you. It's it's really like, it's kind of like the 80-20, right? And it's not just like how many businesses do you buy until one's just like the one or how many businesses do you start until you're like, like this one's going to be the one. But also in that business itself, you only need a few things to work. Maybe your strategy is just producing great quality content and backlinks and you're not focusing too much on EAT, right? You do a little bit, but it's not your main thing, right? Or maybe your main thing is, all right, I'm going to build amazing EAT, not really focus on backlinks and just do quality content. So those two things. It's trying to do it all, especially by yourself when you start out is most likely a mistake. (laughs) Don't you agree? Like how can you, how can you do any of all of those things really, really well? You're better off choosing one to two and leaning into them. Yep. A hundred percent. And I think it is each one of the things that you mentioned, you know, link building or focusing on the content, or maybe you're wanting to hire people and you're not very good at hiring or building a team at first, but you will slowly get better at it as you try to improve. And again, it's like putting into reps and analytically looking at what you're doing, the results you're getting, and then take that feedback loop to try to improve. Mm. And 
on that note, kind of in a, a similar way, I was doing a live stream earlier today and someone said, oh, when should I stop building sites? I have three and it's too much work. And that's a, another huge mistake because people think when they're starting out, hey, I need to start several sites and hey, I'm no different. I did the same thing. Same. In the first month, I probably bought like 15 domain names. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you get excited, you know, there's nothing you could do. So shrug it off, let those domains go away, stop paying for them, stop throwing away that, you know, $100 a year on your first domains and just let them go. You're not going to do anything with them. Mm. But the big problem with trying to like scale too fast is number one, you're probably trying to keep up with someone that has like more years of experience than you. So if you hear of someone that has like 10 websites, they probably have a few years of experience. It's not their first year in business. And many more resources. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're, they're reinvesting over time. So if you're trying to start even just say five sites, there's a good chance that you're going to make a mistake. I mean, let's face it, right, Jared, you and I still make mistakes right now. They're probably just bigger ones than we used to, <laughs> but you can't get away from them. Yeah, you can't. There's external factors and there's other variables. So you're going to make mistakes even if you know what you're doing. So the big problem is when you're starting off, you have limited resources. Maybe you don't have full confidence in your framework or whatever process you're following. And you do something on five different sites. Now you've just made five different mistakes. And instead of having to fix it, just one time and then move on and not make that mistake again, you've wasted your mistake and you're not learning from it or you're learning from it five times and you, you feel terrible. You just feel awful because mm. you have to go fix it again and again and again. And let's say it's a piece uh, maybe the way you format your content, maybe it's subheadings of content mm. and you have uh, gone and published five articles on 10 different websites and now you have to fix 50 different pieces of content. It's just a nightmare. So it's a real, it's a terrible mistake to go and try and scale before you know what you're doing. Oh yeah. That's such a good point. Trying to scale without knowing what's working. It's like somebody, and this is what I get everybody to do in the mastermind is like, look at your business start tracking some things, see what's working really, really well, see what's not working well, let's drop what's not working, let's focus on what is working and that's how we scale. It's like somebody doing the opposite of that going, all right, I'm not going to track everything and I think what's really getting me great results is just link building alone and not really focusing on content, just putting out a lot of content, not focusing on the quality but then just getting backlinks and they go away and do that and they get a bunch of, you know, they can't really get good backlinks because the quality of the content's not there. So people aren't going to want to link to it. And, you know, they've got all these links. And as soon as people come to the site that they're not staying there because the content quality is, is terrible. And they're trying to scale that way. And they bought all these links, spent all this time on an outreach, you know, or built their own outreach team. It's just the wrong way to go where they could have just built great quality content focused on that. And then the links would have been come naturally or just so much easier. Yeah, much, much easier. So in saying that we've talked about links quite a lot. We talked about EAT and and building a bit of a digital footprint. 
What about user experience? Is this something you focus on at all? I mean, sometimes people are very granular with user experience and sometimes people are like, I'll have a look and change some things every six to 12 months. What sort of boat do you sit in and, and why? Or do you sit in either of the boats or is that not something you focus on? <laughs> <laughs> I look at a couple pieces. I'm not sure which which boat I'm in there exactly. I slowly moved over to a minimalist type of WordPress theme on all my sites. So if you go to niche site project, that's pretty much how most of my sites look. It may be a slightly different theme, but the main idea is very much content first. And that is one of the reasons why I resisted display ads for a very long time. And now I'm, I'm much more open to it, but I personally don't like to land on say, a, I think like recipe and food blogs are particularly terrible at this mm-hmm. where you're trying to find a recipe and there's like vi- maybe three videos and several ads and sometimes the content sh- moves and shifts and I know that's something that the core web vitals Google update is hopefully going to get rid of so mm. we never have to deal with that again oh, I could I'm looking forward to that <laughs> I think I think the day that we're recording this I I heard that it was starting to roll out here in June. Yeah, so June. I don't know when this Stop is going June. live, but yeah. <laughs> so in general, I've had like a minimalist site where content is first. Typically I have a very fast loading site and I spent time sort of trimming down and optimizing my themes over time. So generally uh, right now my sites load like under one second and some of them are like under half a second. For most pages, not just the homepage, but for most pages. And, you know, with that said, people don't have to go to the like reader mode on their web browser or anything like that. They get the content there. It's legible. There's not a bunch of shifting. So just in general, the user experience is important to me. And I guess it has been for a few years. So I I haven't made any big changes recently. And uh, to just go into the nuance to... It's funny because I do have these fast loading sites, but when I look on the Google webmaster, not the webmaster tools, that's the old name, the search console, I still am not passing everything on the like user experience, which boggles my mind. So I'm not, mm-hmm. sh- I know that that comes from real data, but from my perspective, I'm like, if my site has few images and it's loading that fast, it has to be something on the user side. So I, I cut down and stripped down a lot of tools and I stopped using them just because they were slowing things down. Yeah, And I'm willing to make that sacrifice for the user experience. So I guess I like user experience. I want people to get the content. I don't want to get in the way with my pop-ups or ads or other nonsense. I like that. Guys, there'll be links to the sh- in the show notes to Doug's site, Niche Site Project. And when I was there just recently, it's so clean and there's not that many images. It's really like, especially on the homepage, it's like your titles of what this is about and what you're going to get and why. And that's basically it. And it's it's spaced out nicely. It's just very clear, straightforward to the point. You and you know your audience is coming there, not wanting to look at pictures and a fancy theme and have all these cool curvatures and lines and all these blah, this blah 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 stuff. So I think it's spot on. I want to break down that a little bit. This is, for, I guess, for your for the 
people that want to make money online, they just want the information, they want it now, and they want it to be easy to consume. Some of your other sites may not actually be in that niche. So I guess over a broad spectrum for people listening, what are some of the things that you have done to create a better user experience other than not having millions of ads above the fold? (laughs) So site speed is really important. And I think if you're on a hosting plan that has a very slow server response time, that's a big thing that you could change. That was one of the, the biggest improvements that I could make. Another area, which is kind of a little a small nitpick, and I think it's arguable, but a lot of people still do have sidebars and they are distracting if someone is on a desktop. It's just some extra information over there. Yeah. If they're on a mobile device, which a lot of sites will just have mobile, the sidebar is on the bottom and most people are not going to see it anyway. So I've pretty much just removed the sidebar everywhere because it's largely useless or it's a distraction. Now, I know people will be able to poke holes and show examples of sites where it does work or maybe even like two sidebars like the, sort of the old style where there's even more busyness, but I think that's it just depends on on what you're going for. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else with user experience. So one thing that I, I made a personal decision on for Niche Site Project was just not having a pop-up. So pop-ups will get you more email addresses and the email list is very important to me and all that stuff. But I didn't love the user experience. And the other thing is, from a site load perspective, those external scripts loading were slowing my site down tremendously. So once I got rid of Optin Monster, which is, I mean, I was able to grow a list really well and it's a nice tool and all that stuff, but they just could not make it load fast enough. And they'll tell you, hey, everything's fine. It's a, it's a script. It's it's asynchronous and da 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 but it loads slower. Like, regardless of how I tested, like it loads slower. So it doesn't matter what they were telling me because they want to keep me as a subscriber. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they're not like a sponsor of your show or anything, but uh, <laughs> no, all no, the no. tools are like that. It, it doesn't matter. It's Sumo, Optin Monster. Like it doesn't matter if you have pop-ups and you have an email capture, like they're running a script and it's going to slow yeah, things down. Yeah, you've got down. the script. It's, There's it's, no way around it. So yeah, anyway. It's taking time. Yeah. And depending on what you, I mean, depending on what you want to do, it's okay to have that. But I, I decided I'm just going to create a landing page. And I thought my, I thought my email list growth was going to drop because of a worse user experience. But I literally just created a button and it opens in a new tab. And then it shows like a, a little opt-in that I just sculpted myself, mm-hmm. nothing fancy. And then uh, my it, it didn't change my opt-in rate at all, and I'm also saving money on you know that piece of software. So you can think of creative ways, and even though there's data out there that w- might tell you like, hey, people uh, or case studies, people grew their email list using this tool, and blah blah blah. There's probably another way to do it, and if you're willing to think creatively and maybe do something that no one else is doing, because I, I don't know anyone else is th- this doing that landing page opt-in form thing is a two-step opt-in, but it's free and it's faster than any of the other tools out there. I think that's great advice because for somebody that's like new to this, they don't want to have 
a tool for this that I have to pay for, a tool for that, a tool for this. Only is it not only is it going to cost them money, more money that they probably shouldn't be spending that on, especially when they're starting out. But also, it's going to cost them audience retention. People are like, oh, it's can't, it's too messy. Can't get rid of this pop up box. It's just like, all right, see you later. Mm-hmm. So I agree. And what people can do is they can go away and look at all these. Oh opt-in monster and all these other different tools that are getting people results, but mimic what they're doing and how they're doing it. And it's more about the psychology of why it works than the actual tool itself. So see if you can create that same thing. Like what you've done, Doug, is you've just gone, all right, you can just click a button and they it'll open up, right? It's not the same thing of the popping up in front of their face, which is a good thing because you didn't want that because that's not great for user experience as well. So I want to dig into email marketing as as well here, especially for affiliate sites, because a lot of people don't really lean into this enough. And even in not niches within the financial, you know, financial independence niche. But firstly, where are they clicking this button to subscribe or to your newsletter or to get your resource or whatever your opt-in is? Is it Where's that call to action? Is it on the homepage? Is it within the content itself? Is it at the bottom of each piece of content? Like what, what should we be thinking about with a call to action like that? Homepage is a great place. That's where a lot of traffic lands anyway. So I've recently redesigned my homepage after input from a technical SEO audit. So it's changed a little bit. It used to be a little bit simpler, but the main goal on the homepage is generally for people to sign up for the email list. So like you said, there's a clear headline, no fat. There's no picture of me. I used to have the hero image up there, but you know, with different screen sizes, that gets goofed up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it turns out no one cares what I look like. They just want the tool or whatever templates that I'm, I'm giving them. So homepage is great. That should be one of the primary areas. The other is a content upgrade style lead magnet. So my best converting lead magnet, which is a content upgrade, is the keyword golden ratio calculator. And it's mm. a simple spreadsheet. It's a Google Doc uh, or a Google Sheet. And way, basically guys, that is within the content. Because we mentioned this because you've done a training in our Growing Online Businesses course, Doug, and we talk about the keyword golden ratio. Guys, go away and get this tool. It is, it's the thing. Thanks, Jared. Yeah, check check out. Um, there's several videos, uh, all free on YouTube, if you want like deeper background into it. But basically, the content upgrade is something that makes whatever content that you're reading or consuming easier to implement or faster or something like that. It's it's a piece that really does upgrade that content. So Mm. I have some information both on YouTube and on my blog about the keyword golden ratio. And it's much easier to do if you have that spreadsheet and calculator. So I will maybe open with the specific information for the keyword golden ratio, a little bit to rope you in. And then I'll have a call to action. Again, going back to not burying the call to action at the end, Mm. put it somewhere in the top third. And typically I like a two-step style opt-in where either you're clicking a text link that says, hey, you want the calculator? Just click here 
and then it, it's very simple. It doesn't pop up. It doesn't get in your way. You could just go past it or a small feature area where maybe the background is a different color. Maybe there's a button, but again, very simple and not too in your face, which is more my style. I mean, some brands are more like, you know, think uh, Neil Patel, there's going to be like pop-ups and some kind of drop down thing. And then Neil's going to be waving his arms and maybe doing some other stuff, trying to get you to sign up for a webinar that starts in 15 minutes or something, but I'm not that style. So mine's more like, Hey, if you want it, it's here and I'll send it right to you. So a content upgrade is going to be probably the best way that you can build an email list. And Mm -hmm. you may be thinking, "Ah, I don't have a way to do a calculator. That's okay. You can do this for basically any niche because you can have resource list for your favorite, say I'm a big homebrew beer brewing person. So Mm -hmm. I can say here are my top five resources, my favorite books for this specific topic area around IPAs and then you sign up for that. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a calculator as a resource for mine and my, one of my resources, the framework, due diligence framework is just like insanely downloaded. So (laughs) it doesn't need, it can be as long as you're, I think the thing is as long as you're adding an incredible amount of value, you're not just getting people on your email list, but you're, building so much authority and trust and getting people closer to going, all right, well, if you're recommending these other things that there's an affiliate link, why would I not go away and purchase it if it's going to help me? Because that trust has been built through that that email opt-in so or that content upgrade. So once people go and they get their content upgrade, they're on your list, what happens then? So for my my specific email list for Niche Site Project, if people really want to see, they should go sign up and then they yep. can experience it themselves. But <laughs> basically, like, like you could imagine, I'm delivering value. So I recently uh, sort of pared down my autoresponder series, which was very long. And I... Basically did an 80-20. Probably if I came to you, Jared, you would you would say, hey, which ones perform best? Mm. Just send those and then throw out the garbage. So that's mm. what I did. Cool. I probably threw out 60 to 70% of the emails that I had because they just weren't performing as well. And I had the data. So I just put my very best content and my very best emails and I send people those, I think like maybe eight or 10 emails. So I pared it down dramatically. And then I'm building trust. People are getting more and more resources. They're seeing, again, some of the best content that I have. And I know that from a data-driven standpoint. So I know that they're getting value. And then after some time, I think in my case, actually, I've, I've changed things a little bit. I'm, I'm sorry. I was about to say I, I have an evergreen funnel, but that, that was the past. I used to have an evergreen funnel. And after about 20 two days, I would pitch my course and product. Mm -hmm. But nowadays I don't have an evergreen funnel and I just do manual launches whenever I get the whim. Cool. Cool. Amazing guys. I think what I took away from what you just said there, Doug, was that you cut the fat and basically you've did some user experience work on your own email list, which is so cool because that's going to help people. Like 
people read one of your emails and then it's like, this was a waste of time. And they do that again and again and again. And they go, all right, I'm going to unsubscribe. And you want them to have a good experience being on your email list. I think that's hugely, hugely valuable. Now, I'm going to switch gears completely here because I think we've talked a, a bunch about affiliate sites and I'm sure people have more questions. So you guys, if you do have more questions and you're watching this on YouTube, go away and, and ask some questions that maybe Doug and I can do another uh, episode and chat about, or just email me if you're listening to this on audio, if you've got questions for either Doug or myself. But I wanted to talk about something that you mentioned before we hit the record button, and that is fire. And let me give some context to people. I only be realized what FIRE was about two, three weeks ago and what it stands for. Financial, independent, retire early. Financial, is it financial, independence, retire early? You got it, yeah. Yeah, cool. And this is stuff that I was looking for years and years and years ago that didn't really exist. Well, it did, but I didn't know. And it's all about education on how people can retire early and, and sort of exit the rat race and doing it in a, a sustainable way and thinking about a long-term approach. And uh, I guess I play a part in that that fire realm or that fire niche because one of the strategies that people could use, and I've seen this that people are using in Aussie Firebug and a few different other ones, people have bought online businesses to replace their income not through my help, but just through through doing it, through hearing about it from people that are in this fire space. And you said you've been, I mean, you've been in the fire space a while as well. And now you've just been podcasting about it with a buddy. Tell me more about this podcast because this is something that I'm, I'm going to be keen to listen to. Right. Yeah. It's called Mile High Fi. And we, we live in the Denver area near Boulder. So we're at 5,280 feet roughly. Oh, cool. And that, that's where the name came from. So Mile High Fi and it rhymes and, and, and we got that domain. So we're and good to go. And it makes sense as well. And well, Mile High and FI Financial Independence. <laughs> cool. Yep. Yep. And w- one of the things, right? So right up front, Fire is really awesome. So if people haven't heard of it, it will probably blow your mind and- mm-hmm. It's a lot of it's beyond the scope of the detail that we can get into today, but I'll lay out some things. Now, number one, there's a, a weird phenomenon, especially on uh, like the YouTube side, and people will say, Oh, those people aren't retired. The whole thing is just BS. The, those people have blogs or they figured out how to make money after they quote retired. Mm. And it's just missing the point. And, and people, want to poke holes in it because they, they don't think it's possible or something like that. And, and basically I pretty much remove the RE part, the retire early part, because cool. it's not really about retiring, Jared, no. right? Like you're no. working, I'm working, but we're doing it on our own terms. I couldn't survive without working. I'd go bananas. Many of us that do, you know, entrepreneurship or, online business and we figured out how to like do things. We're busybodies. So even if if someone said you don't have to work, you would probably move sand across the beach back and forth just to have something to do. And you're like, we're going to build a fort over here. (laughs) Do you know how long it took me to get from like a 30, 40 hour work week down to 20 hours? Like 
it was so hard. I needed to make sure I had other things I could do. Like just like I surfed for five hours straight yesterday because I was like, well, it's good. Like I could go and work, but I don't need to. Yeah, that's what I mean by I just couldn't survive. I would go bananas. Like busy body is the best way to go about it. And I I just want to back you up on saying that it's not about retiring early. It really more so is about the financial independence because then you can ha- then you can decide if you want to retire early, right? That financial independence definitely comes first. And if you haven't even noticed it in FIRE, F-I-R-E, financial independence becomes comes before retire early anyway. So it goes in chronological order, which yeah. is cool. It, it, I mean, it's a good, it's a good catchy name that mm. like the press can run with, and I think that's when it picked up more steam. And I'll point out some of the like key things that people should keep in mind. So number one, it it doesn't have to be ultra frugal. That's another one of the areas I'm, I'm sort of hitting like the misconceptions because a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to eat rice and beans and not travel and not have fun because what's the point of that? And there's a million different ways to do it. There are you know people who are frugal and they like doing that and they enjoy the process of being frugal and that's great. I am not like that. I have a bunch of cool stuff that I like to get. I like electronics and technology. I like to travel. I like to buy good food and eat out and You've all, got all the stuff guitars over there like, hey, too. So feel. That's, that's not frugal. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. That's a new one too. And it's actually, it's a, it's a nice one. I, I actually splurged and I was like, oh, I'm, cool. I'm going to get a nice uh, Gibson, a, a good one. So awesome. do, you, do you play guitar? Yeah. I've got a Cole Clark. It's, it's a few thousand dollar guitar. It's not a, not a cheap one either, but I love it. Yeah. You don't need, like, it, I think it, it, it can help you be, being frugal can help you to a certain extent with being a business owner early on because you're frugal as an early business owner, but it can also be a detriment as well because sometimes you just need to spend money on your business or your website and to grow it. And if you don't, that can hold you back too. Right. Right. It's, it's definitely a, a double-edged situation where classic example, a lot of people are thinking, hey, I don't want to pay for a keyword research tool or a specific tool (laughs) that will really save you a lot of time. And they they want to try to use the free version. And it's really just tying your hands behind your back. It's frustrating and it, it takes longer than to just pay for it. Now, there's other things, right? So I'm I'm recording on a camera and if I was starting a YouTube channel, or if I was advising someone who is starting one, I would say just record on your phone. It's probably going to record really well and just keep your costs low. You don't need a, you know, $3,000 camera. That's not holding you back. But sometimes you need a key essential tool early on that's really worth it. But electronics and stuff can really get you. Again, I'm, I'm pointing at a camera that I probably didn't need to get, but the point is <laughs> it looks good. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's great. It it's is amazing. It. But you look, yeah, you look really good. Yeah. So the financial independence. So the, the key thing is to understand your expenses annually. And the, I'll give you a really quick formula. Are you familiar with the 4% rule? Did you run into that? No. Okay. So this is pretty cool. And the 4% rule is based on a study from, I think, like the early 90s where they analyzed the stock market for something like a hundred years or so. Some of the details are a little bit off, but the main idea is if you 
invest in index funds. So I'm an index fund investor myself. So if you invest in index funds, you can assume some you know rate of return. And generally, if you would have withdrawn uh, 4% of your you know full nest egg per year, you would never run out, basically. So what does that mean in, in real terms? You mean pull a wage, like, like pull what, an what income. What are you talking about? You take 4% out to pull an income. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yep. And, and there's some assumptions baked in, but the main idea is, let's say you're expenses are $40,000 a year. You can take the inverse of the 4% and that is multiplying it by 25. So 40,000 times 25 is 1 million. So if your expenses annually are $40,000, you need a million dollars invested in an index fund to be able to take 40,000 and essentially never run out. So there are simulations and different things you could look at. And let's say, for example, you have a website that earns you $10,000 per year. Well, that'll change the math, right? So then if your expenses are 40,000 and you have a website that's making 10,000 per year, which is pretty modest, I think a lot of people can see that as something they can do in the short term. Then you only need to pull 30,000. So it's a moving sort of target and you could adjust it to be whatever you want. Let's And 40,000 makes the math easy. But let's say you think, hey, I want to travel a lot more and I want to have 100K. We need two and a half million dollars in an index fund. Yeah. I like it. I like that 4% rule. I'm definitely getting more into this, this fire space and the fire community. So where can people go? I'm going to put links to your niche site project and all your, all your awesome stuff. Guys, make sure you get the keyword, golden keyword ratio, keyword golden ratio. Sorry, I definitely stuffed that up because I'm thinking it's KGR. It's KGR. Keyword golden ratio, make sure you get that tool and we'll put some links there. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Doug, but I want to find out what's, you know, how do we, what's the link so we can go away and listen to this mile fi Mile High Fi. Mile High Fi. Yeah, where can we go? Mile High Fi. Yeah, so it's on all the big directories and it's on YouTube as well. At this point in time, we have uh, less than 10 episodes out. And I know in the future, there's going to be more. We have some pretty big guests on there. And one of the reasons why it was awesome that Carl wanted to to work with me is he's kind of a fixture in the FI community. And did you run across Mr. Money Mustache yet, Jared? Oh, yes. It's him, is he? Awesome. Cool. It's a di- it's his business partner. So I live in the same town as Mr. Money Mustache. Cool. And then Carl and... Pete is Mr. Money Mustache. They have the co-working space that I, that I work at. So okay. we have the ability to interview a lot of cool people, which is is pretty cool once we get our uh, sort of groove and understand how we're working together. But yeah, Mile High Fi on all the big directories and YouTube. Awesome. Thanks so much again, Doug. And everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Bob podcast. If you guys know some people that are wanting to buy an affiliate site and scale it, grow or own an affiliate site or wanting to get into affiliate marketing and own an affiliate online business, make sure you do them a massive favor and share this podcast episode with them because we went through some phenomenal gems with Doug. Guys, that's it from me. I'll speak to you guys on the next episode. Bye. 